Excellent. We're going through the book of Ruth here on Wednesday nights, and we're picking up the story in chapter 3. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ruth chapter 3, page 308. I just checked if you're using a Bible provided for you under the seat in front of you. Wonderful story in the Old Testament. Lord, we recognize that even when we don't feel it or seal it or see it, you're working. You're working in our lives. You're working to do good things. And your ways are mysterious, no doubt. You work in ways that we don't expect. But you are moving in ways for our good. And we trust you with that. I pray that you would bless this time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So remember, we have Naomi and Ruth. Mother-in-law and daughter-in-law. Who are childless Widows. Naomi had been married to Elimelech. They had two sons together. Elimelech died. Both sons died. Naomi's left childless and a widow. Ruth had married one of the sons who died. She's childless and a widow. And they're in very, very tough positions in life. So they come home from Bethlehem. But since, or they come home to Bethlehem, and since they have no male covering, no husband, no son, they're in dire financial circumstances. Everything went out of their control with the death of Elimelech. The name dies, the estate dies, all the property is gone. Naomi and Ruth, all they have is each other, and they're in a tough spot. So Ruth is not one who stays in the house, sitting around. When they got back to Bethlehem, the barley harvest had just begun. And so she goes and gleans in the fields, which she was allowed to do by the law of Moses, being poor. So she happens to glean in the field of this owner, this man named Boaz. Boaz happens to meet her in the field. And Boaz happens to be related to the family of Elimelech. He's a close relative. And Boaz and Ruth get along. Boaz really likes Ruth. She's pretty. She's beautiful on the inside. She has character. She's a woman of faith. She's a woman of God. Boaz respects her, and Ruth respects him. So they spend several weeks in that same field. Boaz tells her, you just glean in my field. He takes care of her. He gives her preferential treatment. He blesses her. And they are getting to know each other, and I believe a romantic relationship is blossoming. So 
At the beginning of Ruth chapter 3, the barley harvest is over. Their excuse for seeing each other regularly is coming to an end. So Naomi, the mother-in-law, has a plan. Mothers-in-law always have plans, don't they? She has a plan. Look what she says to Ruth in verse 1 of chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, Ruth, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself, anoint yourself, put on your best garment, go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies And you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. So the barley harvest is over. The fields have been harvested. The men are winnowing the barley now at the threshing floor. And it's a big festive type of thing. They would celebrate, they would feast And then they would also sleep at the threshing floor to protect the barley from thieves that were rampant at that time. Remember, it was the time of the judges, dark times. So Naomi says, Boaz is going to be winnowing tonight at the threshing floor. Take a shower. Put on fragrant oil. Put on perfume. Get your best garment. Make yourself look presentable. Look nice. Smell nice. Go down to the threshing floor and hide. Don't let anybody see you there. Watch. The men are going to do the winnowing. Then they're going to have their celebration, their feast, and eventually they're going to go to sleep. You keep an eye on where Boaz sleeps. And then when nobody's looking, go to him, uncover his feet, lie down at his feet, and then wait for him to tell you what to do. What in the world is going on? I mean, we have big questions with that. People have big questions. It's like, is is Ruth being asked to seduce Boaz? Is she being asked to seduce a man who's drunk? Is this Ruth offering herself to Boaz sexually? No. 
Boaz was not drunk. Let's just point that out. Sure, there was probably wine and festivity, but he's not a belligerent drunk. He's got his faculties. He's not wasted. She is not offering herself to him sexually. Naomi is encouraging her, though, to take a bold step of faith. To make a big time request of Boaz. What are they thinking? What's going on? Well, I want you to see some some words that are very important. In verse 1, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? Security, that word can also be translated rest. We've seen it before in the book of Ruth, attached to marriage. Marriage is rest and security for a woman. And Naomi is saying, Ruth, you need to be married. You need to be secure. And I've been watching what's going on with you and Boaz. Offer yourself to him in marriage. Bold request. And then look at verse 2. Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? Now this is the key detail. Boaz is from the family of Elimelech. Naomi's dead husband. He's a kinsman redeemer. And remember the life insurance policy, according to the law of Moses, the policy that helps childless widows. If a close relative to the deceased husband were willing to go and redeem that family and that family name, if somebody was willing to go and buy back all the property that's been sold, buy it back, give it back to the family. You'd have to be very wealthy to do that and willing to do that. Also, the law of Moses said that a close relative could marry a widow, the widow in the family, have a son with her, and then that son would carry on the name of the dead husband that has been deceased. So a a close relative, if there were a close relative of Elimelech who was willing to do that, then that could be done. So with that in mind, and Ruth thinking the same thing, now we see what Naomi is encouraging her to do. Ask him to marry you. Ask him to redeem you. Go to him and uncover his feet. Symbolically telling him that you're uncovered. Ruth, ask him to cover you. Ask him to redeem the family. Do it privately so there's no public pressure. Go offer yourself in that manner. And she does say... 
He's going to know what to do. He's going to understand what you're doing. Okay. If you think that's an aggressive plan, you're right. That was very aggressive. This was a big time step of faith. Naomi was absolutely convinced that Boaz and Ruth were to be married. That's the Lord's will. She was absolutely convinced that Boaz was the kinsman redeemer for the family. She was convinced of it. And that's why she moved. And you know what? I think she was right. Naomi knew what God's word said. She had access to the law. She knew what the law had said. She was familiar with it. And then she looks at circumstances in life and the way they're coming together, and they seem to be aligning with what God's word says. So she thinks back. We moved from Moab back to Bethlehem just at the time of the barley harvest. Ruth goes out. She starts gleaning in a field. Randomly picks a field, happens to belong to this guy Boaz, who happens to be a kinsman redeemer, a close relative. They get to meet. They like each other. He blesses her. She puts all, okay, the law says this, and the circumstances are falling into line with what God's word said. On the basis of what she knew of God's law and the circumstances that God had brought about, she took Initiative, And that's a very important thing to understand as a Christian in discovering God's will for your life. Know your Bible. And when the circumstances of life align, go. Know your Bible. And when the circumstances of life don't align, don't go. Know your Bible, and if the circumstances of life haven't quite yet prevented them or presented themselves, wait until they do. So that's what Naomi's doing. And by the way, I think that's what Ruth was ready to do. In verse 5, And she, Ruth, said to her, All that you say to me, I will do. I'm in. So Ruth, she knows what the Bible says. She sees the circumstances aligning. She's getting counsel from her mother-in-law. They're talking it over. So it's a go. And she went. Verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Now that is, that is a huge step of faith. 
That is a crazy, scary risk. This could have gone south in so many ways. But she did it. And what happened next? (laughs) It happened, verse 8, at midnight, that the man was startled, turned himself, and there a woman was lying at his feet. And he said, who are you? So she's laying there for a bit. It's midnight. Something startles him. A presence wakes him up. Maybe he thinks it's a thief. Maybe his feet got cold. I hope he wasn't a kicker. You know, I'm a kicker. Poor Kim, you have to pray for her. But he may have kicked. He turns. He discovers this warm body laying at his feet. Who are you? So she answered, I'm Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you're a close relative. It's Ruth. I'm your servant. Boaz, I know you, you know me, and I know you who you are. You're a close relative. Boaz, redeem me. Save me. Marry me. Cover me. What an incredible moment that was. I love it. She says, take your maid servant under your wing. Cover me under your wings. You remember last week we studied in in chapter 2. Boaz is just meeting Ruth, and he's so attracted to her faith and how she had made that decision to leave Moab behind, come with Naomi back to Bethlehem, leave her culture, her gods, her family, go forward. And, And Boaz had said to her, I'm amazed at you that you have sought refuge under the wings of God. And he said to her, may the Lord reward you. For seeking refuge under his wings. And Ruth could be saying to her, to Boaz, you're my reward for taking refuge under the wings of God. I seek refuge under your wings. He probably remembered that. Some Bibles, you might see a little note in yours, have it reading, spread the corner of your garment over me. Spread that garment that's been uncovered, cover me with it. Again, that is asking for marriage. In fact, even to this day, from the book of Ruth, at Jewish weddings, there's always a section where the husband will cover the wife in some fashion. Cover me. Marry me. How does Boaz react? Verse 10. Then he said, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. 
And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request, for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. He's delighted. He's blessed. He's, he's jazzed. He says, Ruth, you are a woman who is blessed of the Lord. You're a virtuous woman. Everyone in the whole village knows it. You have always been kind to me. You've saved your greatest act of kindness for this moment in making this request of me. You're young, you're pretty. There were younger guys that you could have pursued. They certainly pursued her. But you chose me. You made this request of me. He says to her, don't be afraid. I'll do it. I'll do everything that you've asked. I'll marry you. I'll buy the property. I'll redeem your whole family. It's beautiful. Question, important question. Why didn't Boaz pursue her? Why did Naomi and Ruth have to come up with this plan and sort of force the hand? Why didn't Boaz go to her and say, I want to be your redeemer? I think there's a couple reasons. Number one, most Bible scholars believe, and I agree, that there was a considerable age difference. Considerable. He was old enough to be her father. And I think maybe he might have felt, there's this age difference. I'm not as good looking as I used to be. All these young guys, she has other options. I could come in and say, legally, I need to redeem you, but I don't want to force this woman to do anything. I want her to choose me. I'd want her to, to, to want this situation by her own volition. And he's delighted to find out she wants him. He's blessed by it. But there's another reason. Boaz knew his position. And he's been researching behind the scenes all of the legal matters. He knows. And he's discovered something that could be a problem. Look at verse 12. He says to her, now it is true that I'm a close relative However, there is a relative closer than I. So that's a big deal. In the law of Moses, it says the nearest, the closest relative has a duty to redeem that family. The closest relative to Elimelech has that duty and that responsibility. And Boaz has found out about this person. I'm not in line. And so that's one reason why I think he, he drew back. I, I don't have first dibs. I don't have first option. Maybe they're talking to this guy. I don't know. But now everything becomes clear because Ruth shows up. Says, I want you to be my kinsman redeemer. So now 
Now he can move. And look what he says in verse 13. He says, stay this night and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. There's this issue with the law. There's a closer guy. Ruth, I'm going to get up first thing in the morning, and I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to find this closer relative. I'm going to talk to him about the decision. You're going to see in chapter 4, they actually go to court. The elders have a meeting. If he wants to fulfill that obligation, good, he can do it. If not, I'll do it. Now, I want you to see, you know, we've kind of looked at it from Ruth's perspective and and Naomi's perspective. Now, Now, look at this from Boaz's perspective. He's a man of God. He's been studying the law. He's been looking at the circumstances. He certainly loves Ruth. He knows what the plan could be. He's investigated. And yet he's discovered something in the law that could be an obstacle. He submitted to it. He submitted to it. Boaz was so godly that he would submit to the law even if it presented him with something that he didn't like. And I love that about Boaz. You read the circumstances, but they have to align with the written word of God. And so, he's going to clear that hurdle for first. So, he says to her, Stay the night. She lies down until morning. Verse 14. So she lay at his feet until morning. And she arose before one could recognize another. So she got up super early. Then he said, do not let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. Don't tell anybody about what you've said to me. You came in secretly. We keep this secret. Let's keep this between us. Verse 15. Also, he said, bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six portions of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. Now, again, I love He's a class act. He didn't have chocolate. He didn't have any flowers. But, I mean, they've just gotten engaged, especially, you know, essentially. And he gives her six measures of grain, always Pouring grace and blessing upon this dear woman. We'll find out later, it's also a gift for the mother-in-law back home. Boaz is a brilliant dude, guys. Take notes. Take notes. So, she's gotten up super early. She goes back to Bethlehem. She goes back home. Do you think there might be anybody waiting up for her? Verse 16, 
when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, is that you, my daughter? I mean, it's so early, it's still dark out. Hard to recognize people. She's up. She's like, what's going on? Tell me, tell me. Then she told her all that the man had done for her. Tells the whole story. And she said, these six portions or measures of barley he gave me, for he said, do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. So Ruth fills in Naomi with all the different situations and the issue with this second closer redeemer, all of that. Verse 18, then she said, this is Naomi speaking to Ruth, sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. So I love this. We took our step of faith. We did what we think God called us to do. We've done it. Now there's nothing for us to do. It's in Boaz's hands. It's in the Lord's hands. So Ruth, sit still. Just sit. And I could see her perhaps thinking of Psalm 46, verse 10, where it says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Just be still. I'll bet they're praying. I'll bet there's a time of prayer. Beautiful chapter. And there's some really, really important principles in this chapter when it comes to discovering what God's will is for you. you. I can't tell you how many Christians I've talked to who said, I'm trying to figure out God's will. Should I move here? Should I take this job? Should I be a part of this relationship? A lot of Christians would like to know how to discover for sure what God's will is for them. And we get some great, great principles It starts with having spiritual wisdom and discernment. That's where it starts. If you want to discover God's will for your life, Christian, you got to get spiritual understanding and wisdom. And that means you have to read God's word. You have to be in it consistently. You have to learn the principles in it. You have to know how it applies to different situations in life. And you have to let God speak to you through his word. Only then can you discern the circumstances. And discover what aligns with his word. There's a promise in Romans chapter 12. Do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be, may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How do you renew your mind? Through daily reading of God's word. It renews your mind and you will find God's word. That's what Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz were doing. Here's another thing. Bathe everything in prayer. Everything about your whole life. Every detail. Every decision. Every choice. 
Pray about it. Ask God to lead you, to show you, to make you sensitive to the leading of his spirit. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by what? Prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You get the peace, you get the direction. You're praying, you're reading, you accurately discern circumstances in life. Again, Ruth, Naomi, at the end of chapter 3, they're sitting still before God praying. I'll bet they prayed the whole time through it. I'll bet Boaz was praying. There was a lot of prayer. A third thing. Get counsel from godly men and women. Get counsel from people who know the truth and will tell you the truth, not just what you want to hear. We have this wonderful promise in Romans chapter 15, verse 14. Paul says, concerning all Christians in a local church, Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, able also to admonish or counsel one another. So what's God's will? You're reading, you're hearing from him. You're praying, you're talking to mature people in Christ who will tell you the truth. And we see that happening with, with Boaz, Ruth, and Naomi. Naomi's counseling Ruth. Here, here's what you need to do. This is God's will. Go for it. They do it. You stay in the word. You bathe everything in prayer. You get good counsel. And then you look at circumstances. Is it aligning with what God has shown you? Then go. Do it. If it's not aligning, don't. There are Some Christians who, unfortunately, they make the mistake of looking at circumstances only and evaluating circumstances by how they feel or what worldly voices are telling them. Big mistake. You have to have that spiritual discernment. So for my my single friends out there, dating, Wanting to get married. You should be praying about it. You should be reading the Bible. What does the Bible say about it? You should be getting good counsel. Knowing what the word of God has said. And then some, Then you meet somebody. You connect. You really like this person. And you find out they're born again. They walk with Jesus. They go to church. They're who they need to be. Circumstances align. Go for it. You meet somebody. You really connect. But you find out that they're not a believer. 
You don't go. It's actually really simple. It's a simple process. Maybe you have a brand new job that's placed before you. And you're wondering, should I take this job? Well, you've been reading in scripture how um, whatever you do, it needs to be something noble. That you shouldn't be greedy for money. That you need to also be protective of your time. So you get this awesome job that's coming your way. And, it's, and yeah, it's more money, but it's something noble. And it's not going to take all of your time away from your family. Sounds like a go. Go. But what if this is a job that's something shady? But it gives you more money. And maybe you have to put all of your effort into it so you don't have time to spend time with family or serve at church or serve the Lord. Maybe that's a no. Evaluate everything in your life through that lens. And God will move. Avoid interpreting circumstances apart from spiritual wisdom and discernment. Now, here's the other problem that some Christians have. The doors will open. There it is. And they're afraid to walk through. They're passive. I once knew a guy who waited for 15 years till God brought him his wife. And he put his whole life on hold. And I knew him over 15 years. And every year, you know, I'd see him, how you doing? Well, I'm still waiting on my wife. And he sort of put his life on hold for 15 years. Finally, he got busy, did something with his life, and then God brought his wife to him later. But a lot of times, Christians can be passive. It opens. Go. You heard about the guy who lived in a house next to a, a river and it was raining and it was flood and the river was rising and his, his house was starting to flood and a jeep came by and said, hey, you need to evacuate. You know, the flood's going to rise. And he said, no, I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm going to have faith in the Lord. Keeps raining, the water rises. Now he's up on the second floor of his house. A boat comes by with a loudspeaker. Hey, we're here to evacuate you. You need to get in the boat. And he said, no, I'm trusting the Lord. I'm staying put. The water rises. Now he's on the roof. A helicopter comes, drops a a, a rope ladder. Hey, we're here to evacuate you. I'm trusting the Lord. Okay, the water rose. He drowned. He died. He gets to heaven and he says, God, why did you let me down? I had faith in you. And God said, I sent you a Jeep, a boat, and a helicopter. What else am I supposed to do? A lot of Christians, they get the Jeep. They get the boat. They get the helicopter. The circumstances have converged with what you know to be true from God's word. Move. Go through it. That's God leading you. Now I will tell you. When you're bathing everything in prayer and and following this, this pattern. And you go and you make a move. Things do not always 
turn out exactly like you expect. There will always be a hiccup. Like here in this situation. There's a guy closer? What? There's, there's always going to be something. But I promise you, if you move out, God's going to move. Something's going to happen. God can do amazing things. I showed you this picture last week. This is Kim and I on the gazebo where I asked her to be my wife. This is us visiting years later. Um, Kim and I met each other at exactly the right time. We were both studying God's word. We were praying. We were serving Christ. We had good Christian friends speaking into our lives. God led us to each other, and it was clear, it was crystal clear. We were spiritually healthy. We met. And we grew closer and closer and closer. And a year and a half after I met her, we were married. And it was, it was pretty straightforward. God's will. So, before Kim married me, she knew that I had a calling on my life to be a pastor. And my dream was to plant a church. We were going to plant a church together. And the only question is where? I knew we were going to do this. And, and he had a big, there was a big thing in my mind and her mind. Um, how do we get, how are we taken care of financially? You know, how do you go plant a church? And, and yet, how do I be a responsible husband? And soon to be father, I, I hope in the future, if I don't have provision. And, you know, I have my engineering degree. And so we said to God, Lord, wherever we go, uh, find, a, find a job. And so I sent resumes all over the place. A couple to San Diego. Wanted to go to San Diego. Um, Different places in Texas, all over. Never, ever even thought of El Paso. It never even crossed the radar. But here's the deal. Kim's parents lived here in El Paso. There was one Calvary Chapel on the east side, Pastor Charlie Flores, and there was a group of people meeting on the west side of El Paso that wanted a Calvary Chapel. And the father-in-law, Kim's dad, said, hey, Terry, give me a resume. And I, I, I really didn't want to give him a resume for El Paso. I really didn't. I just didn't think. But he, I gave him the, because we'd made the deal with God, wherever you give me a job. And I wasn't getting any job offers anywhere. And I was qualified for any job, but for some reason they were all blank. I give the resume. A week after he's shopping it, I get a call with a job opportunity to come down here and and plant. And so we were praying, we were reading, we had people speaking into our lives. It didn't look exactly like I was thinking San Diego. But we came, we had our first Bible study in a living room in 1996. About six months later, we were meeting in the Westside YMCA. And it's grown up to this point. 
been a ride. It's been good. So our church grew to, to a certain point where we needed to find our own home. We needed to find our own property, our own building. We'd been leasing. We'd been in Wise. We were at a, a strip mall for a while. And so our leadership began to pray and read and counsel and think about how to get to another part. And we got connected with this piece of property that we're on right now. That's a picture in February of 2003. That's what it looked like. Can you believe we came here? We saw this property. We had people praying for us, thinking about it. I have a good friend. You probably might have heard him on the radio, Pancho Juarez, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Montebello. He would come visit, and he saw this, and he goes, Dude, if you don't buy that, I will. You need to take it. It's a great place. So we bought it. And we thought, you know, see that building on the left? That's the gin. That thing that we tore down, that's where this building's at. We thought it'd be real easy to go in there. We'd just go in there. Put up a stage. Throw some lights up. Get it going city would have nothing to do with it it turned out to be we didn't really think through the logistics of it that much and so for those of you who know the story we met on this property in a tent for four years while we worked through the city while we got funding until we were able to uh to to get this together what you see now but you know what god moved god moved There was a lot of prayer. There was a lot of reading. There was a lot of counsel. We made a decision. We moved. It didn't look like what we thought it would be. But man, you know, our church doubled in the tent. People loved the tent. They loved it. We never got complaints in the tent. When we moved in this sanctuary, that's when we started getting all the complaints. But in the tent, I guess nobody expects anything, right? So it was an incredible move of God. And God did a lot in my heart during those four years. And Kim's heart and the leadership at this church heart. God used it for his glory. One more example, and this has got to be one of the most bizarre things that ever happened to us. We had a dear friend, in fact, Tammy's brother, AJ, used to be here and he worked. He was our youth, a youth leader and a worship team guy and he moved on to San Antonio and um, left a big hole here. He got a, got a job and he was San Antonio. Our church needed a full-time worship youth pastor and we needed this big time. Not just a you know volunteer um, or, or an hourly wage, a full-time salaried. We needed this person. And so our elders got together um, we started praying, we're reading, we're counseling, we're thinking about who, who needs to do this. And the, the most bizarre thing, one morning during this, God put on my heart a young man that we had met in the homeschool connection here. And this, this, this kid was a musician, this kid was really good with kids, 
And it was the most bizarre thing. I said, um, Lord, I got some errands to do. And I did. I was going to go to groceries. I was going to go to Home Depot, maybe to the mall. I forget. I had a lot to do. I said, Lord, let me run into this guy. Let me run into this guy. So I went out, didn't run into the guy. Thought I, I almost forgot I prayed it, right? So then I get home, I'm studying. Kim goes out later. It's about sunset, same day. She's going out on, on, on an errand. She drives by this guy walking up our street. And I hadn't told Kim about this. But she was compelled. She got on the phone and she said, you never guess who I just walked by. This kid. So I, walk, I go out there and I, I walk out my front door and he's there. And I said, um, what, are you, uh, what are you doing? You know, and he said, well, I live around the corner and I was going on a prayer walk. And I'm just at a, a turning point in my life and I'm wondering what God wants to do with me next. So I said, I've got an idea. I've got an idea. And so I'm, we talked to this kid. I told him what, what had just happened. I told our elders. He came in. He met our staff. He met our youth group. I mean, all of these directions were, were, were pointing at, at this guy. We, we offered him. We made an offer. We had a good package for him to become our youth, one of our youth worship pastors. Everything was ready to go, and he declined. He said, I don't want to go. God is not calling me. And I thought, what in the world? Well, that prompted all the elders to get together, to pray, and to think, what in the world just happened? What did we just see? And during this meeting, I'll never forget, it was a move of the Holy Spirit. A couple elders looked at another elder, a younger man on our elder board, who had always been a faithful servant, said, what about you? You should do it. And this young man, who's so humble and so faithful, never wants to push himself forward. In a very quiet way said, I'd love to do it. I'd be delighted. And that young man Daniel Rodriguez is one of the greatest gifts to this church. He served behind the scenes without any pay. He never pushed himself forward. And in 2012, he was ordained as a pastor at this church. And he became our youth worship. And you, you know him. You know who he is. He's awesome. He fills in for me. He's an incredible man of God. Why did I have to meet that guy walking up my street? It's the most bizarre thing. The answer was right under our nose. We went around the block to get next door. God used that whole situation to get our elders together and point it. I am telling you. God accomplishes his will. He can put things together in your life that you've never even dreamed. 
But you have to be reading. You have to be praying. You have to be getting godly counsel. And when those circumstances align, go for it. It may not look what you thought would look like. But believe me, it'll be good. Amen? So, what's going to happen with this couple? Well, you're going to have to come back next week and find out. And understand this, by the way. God puts individual stories together, but as I've told you before, in this family that he's putting together, it's going to have a huge stake in a much bigger story in life that you're going to see. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for working in those mysterious ways. We love you for it. You do things that we could never dream of of happening. You move in ways that we could never predict. And I pray for each one here tonight, each one who knows you, who calls you Father and Savior, Lord. I pray that each one of us would trust you for what you have. Just trust you. We continue to grow in our knowledge of you. Protect us from ungodly counsel, ungodly voices. Lord, protect us from how deceitful our feelings and emotions can be at times. May our hunger for your word never die. May our prayer lives blossom. May we stick close to your people so we get good counsel and then help us to discern your will. In all of the details of life, all of them. Thank you, Lord, for your leadership, for the way you want to use our lives. Not just for our good, but for um, bigger picture issues as well. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen.